Okay, well, welcome to Politics Galore with me, Andrew Jackson. Me, David McColgan. Um, and well, we're delighted to welcome our special guest uh, returning to the podcast after his last appearance is Alistair Stewart from Orbit Communications. Uh, Alistair, welcome. Doing? Thank you very much. Good. good to speak to you both. Good, good. So, well, let's open with our usual quick question to a guest, which is what's been on your mind with respect to Scottish politics in recent weeks or months? Uh, well, I was just thinking about that this morning, actually, when you invited me on. Uh, obviously, quite a lot has changed on the uh, the global uh, stage since we we last spoke, the Ukrainian crisis is is appalling. Um, I'm running out of adjectives to really describe it, but I suppose one of the interesting developments has kind of happened concurrently in Scotland is the uh, launch of the Scottish Council on Global Affairs. Um, it's launched by Scottish universities, um, I, and its its entire remit really is to bring to bear a kind of, ah, no pun intended, but an, an academic degree of thinking on international policy that's kind of been lacking in Scottish politics. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops, particularly with such a live issue as what's happening in Ukraine. Right. OK. So so when you say there's so all or, or, mo, or a group of Scottish universities have formed this and, and is it where yeah. where's it? Is it based at one university in particular? If memory serves, it's St Andrews that's actually launched it in conjunction with uh, Glasgow and University of Edinburgh. Right. Um, it, and it's an it, it's an interesting one actually because its its remit is essentially to bridge and create partnerships between civil society, business community, and discuss and form policy positions and research on international issues. Now, that's interesting for two reasons. One is that at the uh, Holyrood elections, all of the parties committed to it and they committed to it in a non-partisan way. They recognised that this is something that Scotland could seriously benefit from. Second interesting thing about that is at the time, the Scottish Conservatives didn't actually endorse it and it wasn't in their manifesto. I think the reason for that is that they were obviously seeing what direction of travel this could well go in that Scottish government doesn't have any devolved remit over international affairs. It's a reserved matter. And yet this is sort of gently crept into the fold just now. It's getting quite a lot of press coverage, getting a lot of debate, and it ties in with what's been happening with Ukraine in that everyone, quite rightly, has an opinion on it, but no one in Scotland has any policy levers from which to really pull and, and influence that. Um, so how those two overlap in the coming months and indeed years will be very interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not what is essentially a non-partisan, well-meaning research institute, does it evolve to become something that's making policy recommendations to the Scottish Government on international and foreign affairs? And if so, is that going to hamper or is that going to accelerate calls for Scottish independence? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I was just thinking, yeah, there aren't, I was trying to think if there were any examples that came to mind of areas where, although the Scottish government doesn't have any uh, formal power, it nevertheless has an involvement by, by default one way or the other. And the one, the one that come, came to mind simply because I know about it through work is the the ethical policy on recruiting uh, healthcare staff from other countries, which, yeah. although it relies on the immigration policies of the United Kingdom, um, nevertheless can, if it 
as far as I understand it, although there may be an international code that everyone agrees to, um, you know, Scotland can set the, its own ethical parameters. Uh, and I mean, it's essentially to stop, you know, developing developed countries stealing nurses and doctors from uh, developing countries uh, to the de- detriment of those developing countries. Um, so, so uh, you know, I suppose there's, there are chinks in probably chinks in different policy areas where that kind of thing might happen. But absolutely, take on board what you say that there's no formal powers and and i suppose um when i when i think back to i can't remember the name of the chap uh, michael something or other um an academic who used to do a lot of work and probably still does on europe although i haven't been following him for quite michael Ke- keating was it maybe who used to work oh, yeah. yeah yeah i think he works down south now i can't remember you know there, there was quite a lot of interesting thought given to the place of scotland as a devolved administration in the eu structures given that the uk was the lead uh, state entity in those things so i do think there's a potential for um, you know, some creative thought about the the way that Scotland might. I mean, perhaps that's the the first big job is figuring out you know where Scotland might put its energies usefully under the devolved settlement. But I do think that depending on who gets involved, and I, I want to ask you just a quick question about that in a minute, whether there's the the risk that what you end up with is is a, an endless series of debates where all anybody does is argue about which power Scotland should have <laughs> in order to be able to do things in in the global arena more either at all or more effectively. But when when you say the parties endorsed endorsed it, I mean, apart from just, you know, there's no reason why a political party can't endorse anything it likes, but what, do they have a role in connection with it if it's run by the universities? No, I don't believe so. I just remember that at the time reading manifesto, I thought it really stood out to me and I I wrote a Scotsman column on it and I I was really fascinated by this because it it tied into the fact that it feels in Scotland and a minor segue that we're going round in circles with, we're debating international issues, but we have strictly viewing it in the in the sort of paradigm of, of devolution, but we have no influence on, on international continue to have a theoretical discussion, which is essentially what Holyrood is when it when it discusses these things. It can, it can vote on them, it can pass a judgment on them, it can have motions on them, it can't actually do much. Um, it, and that argument is going round and round and round. I think part of the reason that the parties were supportive of it is that they knew that it would be better to be loaded for bear than to just continue having this sort of high-level bird's-eye view essentially student debating argument about theoretical issues that Scotland has no real purchase in at the moment. Solution to that is have a non-partisan think tank that can provide information, policy briefs and non-partisan updates and opinions on issues that are actually happening. The gamble on that is that it will not go exclusively the direction of, of perhaps the SNP. They have their political... Uh, viewpoint on how to understand the world and Europe and Ukraine and nuclear weapons and everything else and that's absolutely fine but the evidence that hopefully this institute will pull together will not always be handing goodies and low-hanging fruit to the government of the day it could actually be providing real talking points for opposition parties and all of a sudden you've elevated what has become a very stale debate and a a, a really different premium one 
And that in itself is better to, it's better to be informed about these issues when you're going into what could well be another independence referendum than, than have a repeat of last time, which was a, set, a series of statements on how Scotland would be in the world as opposed to what the world actually is like. And that was seriously lacking. And it still is. Um, and I really hope that this uh, this group provides that kind of purchase um, and that political parties are respectful of it. Yeah. OK, well, let, let me bring you in, David. What are your thoughts about the, the, the new council? Um, yeah, so I think I mean I think it's interesting. I think actually um, taking a little bit more broader than just what this council set up to do. I think Andrew, you kind of commented on a, a previous podcast about the lack of think tanks in Scotland, and um, you know especially in specific areas. So, for example, like the Health Foundation, probably not a good example to pick on because they're doing a an inquiry on. Uh, um, health inequalities in Scotland, but the, 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 you know the the Scottish landscape is full of great thinkers and great institutions. But we probably don't have the think tank base that you would you could lean on in Westminster, for example, and looking at a whole range of things. I mean, I find I find the, this kind of development interesting. Um, I think the the discussion you and Alice have been having is what a lot of people will be thinking is, you know, does this does this create um, does this create an argument about what power Scotland should have, or does it, or 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 will it be used, or can it be used to advise on what Scotland can do in kind of international world affairs? And I think um, not to get too into my university years and political theory, but Scotland has a big has a strong role around soft power in international relations yeah. and national politics. And you look at some of the kind of um, you know, people will say they're gimmicks, but things like Tartan Day and and North America, and you know, the connections with uh, the kind of uh, some of the African countries have got connections back to Scotland. And and to be honest, you know, as a as a nation, Scotland has um, a diaspora out there in the world that is, um, you know, you can't go anywhere in Scotland without finding somebody that you know that came. I can't go anywhere in the world that you can't find someone that came from Scotland originally. So. I think it, you know, hopefully it, it leads to a, a bit of maturity around some of the international relations and, and, and international context, and and I think actually it'll be really interesting to see um, recommendations, you know, thought pieces, and and the the general debate around this going forward. And and I get the point around, you know, there's a real there's a real risk that what it says is Scotland. Scotland views the policy problem through this specific lens. And we've all heard the Scottish government talk about the Scottish approach to policy, you know, and then it says, but this can't be acted because Westminster has the power or in an independent Scotland they'd be able to do this. You know, I'd like to see, I'd like to hope that there'll be some work done around what Scotland can do right now. Scotland can do a lot right now, um, but there's also that future thinking bit about what, what might be possible. So I think it's a good development. I think it'll be interesting to follow. Um, I think it's probably quite an exciting, you know, well, exciting is probably not the right word, but a, a very important time to be kind of having some of these discussions and, um, and and what that means. And, you know, like a really a really good example right now would be, you know, what would be the Scottish approach to um, relocate, re, uh, relocating Ukrainian nationals to, you know, within Scotland? You know, how would they do it? Um, what would that look like? And I think, I think the problem with international relations is it's been too full of rhetoric and not and no action, and that's partly because of the devolution settlement. And maybe if it 
if it drives us more to a well, you say that, but you could actually do it at a point, you know, but it would be really interesting just for that to, to add into that dynamic. Yeah, but just before I bring Alistair back in, I, I'm, I'm reminded of, um, I, I downloaded a whole bunch of common wheel reports uh, thinking I'll read these before the next referendum and thank, thankfully that, that seems to get further and further away because they're very long. Um, <laughs> but they are, uh, but what they do do and what they make it, well, what they often claim claim they do is to set out what's possible under the current devolution settlement, particularly around things like you know land reform, which, um, which to, to bust the myth that things can't be done under devolution, not because the common wheel are unionists, quite the reverse, they're, they're independent, pro-independence, but they're also frustrated, um, perhaps from a position of the left, I think it's fair to say that um, the Scottish government doesn't act in a way that it could act uh, in a more socially democratic or left wing way using the current powers that it had. So I'd be interested to see um, wh- where they start, where the new count, uh, Council on Global Affairs starts thinking about some of those things, because I'm sure there are more instances where there's an international angle that could be taken under the current powers than than we may have intimate knowledge of right now without thinking too hard about it. Is there any areas, Alistair, that you've thought about in that respect that you might hope they would begin looking at? Or are you just sort of waiting with bated breath to see what they come up with? Or have they are they about to launch a consultation that asks everyone what they should be doing or it's sometimes I, I, I think it's really interesting that we've we've almost kind of fallen into the trap ourselves and it's not a bad thing at all. But in discussing this through the, the, the sort of the, the viewpoint of independence, where that's going to happen anyway. International relations is just such low-hanging fruit for any discussion on independence. It's such an emotive topic for the SNP. It's a it's a very traditionally a pragmatic subject for the right and the conservatives, but it's an emotional topic, and that emotion is often just lending itself to to rhetoric, as as was touched on. The refugee crisis is a, a, a really it's a tragic, but so it's a really kind of classic example in that. That's something that Scotland can do something on. It is doing something on, but could it be doing more? Could it be redirecting resources more effectively? That, that's the kind of thing that operates in the existing paradigm. It doesn't need to be blown up to be about independence, but it can be understood and, and researched and recommendations made. Immediately, that would transform the debate that's happening right now, that's existing right now. You could have political parties in Scotland absolutely loaded for bear and, and discussing how best to support people at the end of the day. It's very interesting to me that, and it's absolutely correct, that there's a, um, I mean, it's it's hard to express it fully, but I mean, Scotland is an, in a, it's just a leader on so many different fields, including international relations. Um, Edinburgh introduced an international relations programme uh, about 15 years ago. St Andrews has had it for significantly longer. And yet there is a real lack of thick think tanks across the board in Scotland. Um, I don't think we've cr- quite been able to, to, to synthesise the link between the think tanks and, and political debates in that way. Refugee crisis would be number one at the moment because it's not a, a theoretical discussion. It's one where real people fleeing a war are involved. And it would be tremendous is, is, is the wrong word, but it would be very exciting to, to see that used in a debate where we could help people based on academic research that's pulled together from a, a wide variety of, of specialities and, and sectors under this umbrella of, of, of a new centre. Um, 
I, I don't like using the word exciting when it comes to a refugee crisis, but I am I, I, I am when it comes to helping the most people most effectively. Um, we can't all think of everything at the same time. Um, not everyone is an international relations expert. The Scottish government is what it is. It hasn't quite evolved to the point of incorporating an international think tank into its a Scottish-based international think tank into its its, uh, its policy thinking and its policy output. What what would be the consequence of that? We could find ourselves even more uh, further into the, uh, the soft power uh, footprint that we already have, and that is an incredibly positive step. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking. So I'll bring David back in a minute. I was just, I was just thinking: is is there not is there not a a tour guide to Vienna who sometimes occasionally dabbles in international uh, politics on behalf of the Scottish government? And I thought, yes, <laughs> and he's Angus Robertson. And I, I was looking up his brief, and I see that you know the Scottish government does have have its own international page, and there's a number of things mm. um, on it which are you know ways that it's already identified to be able to participate in international relations without uh, you know busting the devolution settlement in any way. And there's various engagement strategies. But D- David, have you got any any thoughts about the kind of issues that Alistair's been raising? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I suppose, um, I mean, the first thing that always comes to mind when I think about international relations and, and view viewpoints on this, and just before I come to the question, Andrew, is uh, I think there's a famous Woodrow Wilson quote that everyone's an idealist until they become president. And I think, and I think yeah. that, that we suffer from that in Scotland, right? You know, you know, people can stand up and say, you know, I think we talked about this on the, on the, on the podcast before, Andrew, you know, when Nicola Sturgeon got, kind of ambush with a camera and said, you know, no fly zone shouldn't be off the table. You know, yeah. Nicola Sturgeon could say that because she's never going to be in a room right now where the decision is, you know, in her hands to go and stick Scottish fighter planes over uh, over over Ukraine or whatever. And I think, you know, we, and there, there's a number of areas where, you know, Scottish politics plays that, you know, we're all idealists because we know we're never going to have to make the, the decision. But, you know, I think... Um, you know, more broadly, um, I, I think what I, I would, I think that I think Tank could bring to the kind of Scottish policy landscape as well is a little bit more rigorous assessment of what the Scottish government already do in this field. Um, so there's a number of areas where you know there's fundings announced to support X, Y, or Z, and the Scottish government announced so we're putting a hundred grand in to support it as well. Well, you know, I. I've never really seen any rigorous assessment that says that 100 grand is going to make the difference or that 100 grand is just going to pay the, the tea bags for everyone that's that's going to help out. And I think, you know, that, uh, you know, when Scotland, we've got a really, really vibrant international development community. You know, we've got some major organisations that are doing huge work out there as well. And actually, what is what is the context of them within the wider international relations community? What is it? What does that do for brand Scotland, if you would? And I might, you know, some people might think that sounds very SNP, but um, I think I would, I think it'd be really interesting just to see some independent thought on well, what is the Scottish government already doing? Is it making a dent, or is it just playing at doing it? Um, and actually, if it if it's got a fine, you know, a finite amount of money to spend on international development or international relations. Where is its biggest bang for its buck? Because by and large, it's a very small part of the Scottish government's portfolio at the minute. We all know money's squeezed. You know, some people might ask why we're we spending it over there when we could be spending it here. But I think, 
I think hopefully it brings a little bit more legitimacy to the Scottish government's actions, and it brings a little bit more um, shines a light on the positivity that it could, you know, that is, that it will undoubtedly be making around the world. And um, I, I just think, you know, there hopefully there's not loads of people out there thinking I'm just. I'm trying to set up loads of think tanks to create a job uh, for myself. But the, I, I, I think hopefully, I'd like to think it's a step in the direction of people, whoever those people might be, saying actually this is a positive contribution to public debate in Scotland. Um, it's great to see collaboration across universities, across sectors. Um, and maybe it might inspire a few other people to sit there and go, well, actually, what other areas... Could we be creating this, you know, this debate to support um, policy and policy kind of development? Scotland. I mean, I, I was having this conversation with a colleague recently. You know, Scottish Parliament's 21, 22, we're coming up for 23 years old now. Um, you know, where where is the next big idea around policy, around changing, tackling the big solutions, uh, big problems? And we've got big problems coming. Um, and and I and I think um, Scotland as a kind of body um, has been a little bit lacking of big thoughts on on the way forward. And you know you could argue somebody will tell me the national care service is a big thought, and that's what's going forward. But I, I, hopefully it inspires some more debate, brought you know broadly about how we take forward some of these policy challenges in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the the press release, and it says um, it talks about uh, being oh, where's it uh, 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 develop critical thinking on international issues and Scotland's place in the world using the excellent expertise researchers university that Scotland already has, and I and I guess it's it's focusing on on the issue of you know how Scotland interacts with other other countries rather than necessarily simply considering issues from the international perspective. So, for example. Um, in the world of housing, uh, social housing, there's a, a lot of cross fertilization between housing providers in different countries as to things like, you know, the whiz bang way of making new houses and making things in factories and heating systems and, and all that sort of stuff. And I, I would say that sector is pretty well set up for those kind of things. But my experience of working in health is that, um, you know, that, that there's there's never an or there's rarely serious consideration of the extent to which the NHS could be reformed along the lines of some uh, European systems. It, we always default to a big row about not wanting to be America. And it doesn't look to me from the press release that that's the kind of area where the this council will, will begin its work or even even do any work in that area. But it may as it goes forward, depending on how much. I mean, I guess, you know, academics, there's always something they can find to write about under the broad banner of global affairs about international relations rather than about, you know, sort of working examples of, of things from other countries that you want to share and talk about. But it might be interesting to see if they do end up in a place where they begin to look at, where they begin to think about global affairs in terms of domestic policy and the applicability of uh, learning from other countries in a broader way than perhaps has always been the case. Although there may be people working in different sectors who say, oh, that, that I don't know about the people say all that stuff goes on already, but but we shall see. What what, what do you what do you think? Um, what what are you thinking uh, around where it might begin its work? Then um, anybody, either of you, sir? if you could see it. Say, so, sorry, please. So if you could see it going in one direction soonest, what would that what would that be? I would say climate change and refugee crisis are, are two areas where it, it, there, there's so much that needs to be 
not necessarily thought of but consolidated because at the moment these are they're massive issues but it feels like we're dealing with them piecemeal in Scotland and that is partly to do with their overwhelming nature and partly to do with confusion over remit and whether it merits discussion in Scottish Parliament, Scottish politics, if it's if they are, or in the case of the refugee crisis and international politics, if they're if they're reserved matters. But as we've learned, particularly in the last ten years, and particularly with Brexit, is international politics touches on every facet of devolution, and having something in Scotland that helps load you for bear and and gives you the policy information and the thinking and it will it cannot be a bad thing when it comes to and this was mentioned earlier scrutinizing the government but also having some new innovations if scotland wants to be a leader in climate change and that's first and foremost it needs to think about broader international context what russia is doing with oil supply across europe and the world isn't is an absolute case in point you you cannot now take tackling climate change and green issues completely separate from what is now a cost of living crisis and an energy crisis. Um, yeah. ha- having some something or, or people who can consolidate that in a, a working argument or working arguments would be immensely helpful. So yeah, refugee crisis, climate change, and that's just a starter for 10. What, what you were saying a moment ago, actually, about the press release, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think they've started quite modestly, truth be told. I think this, and I really desperately hope, it evolves and expands and becomes bolder and braver um, in, in being a little bit more of a mover and shaker as it demonstrates its its worth in the month months and years ahead. Um, I, I, there's ample going on in the world at the moment to to cut your teeth on with that. Yeah, yeah, okay, D- David. Yeah, I mean, I, I can um, couldn't agree more. I think it makes um, the the obvious place for any work to start is around the climate emergency. Um, I think there is, um, you know, Scotland has made enough noises around it, it's probably still got somewhat of the limelight after COP26. It seems like the obvious place to kind of be leading on it. And I think also it leads into that kind of Scottish approach to some of the stuff around the kind of social injustice that climate emergency is. And, you know, mm-hmm. the and there's there's a lot there's a lot of people, you know, Oxfam are doing loads of work, Skiaf are doing lots of work around the, you know, you drive your big four by four round anywhere Scotland that's not necessarily us that pay the price right now for it, but it's the um, the kind of global side that that will will bear the biggest brunt. So I think it's it seems like an obvious place to to start with an area that Scotland has already got a good brand and relatively good image around it, and and then expand from there. Um, the you know there's the there's a whole range of things that can be you know can be looked at as well around you know I th- I think there's some interest in um, there'll be an interesting kind of piece looking at just what what is Scotland and the Scottish government's connection and interaction with other countries like America or, or you know some of the bigger powers. I mean, we know we've got some really great connections with with, with other countries, and and there's also a, a, an element, and and I'm sure somebody is looking at it. I know some academics, you know, do specialise in it, but looking at how. Scotland as a region of the UK works with other regions of other countries. So whether that's you know the Flemish in Belgium or um, you know other 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 parts of 
um, or, or other regions of other countries and, and I've got strong connections there. So uh, I think there's there's some really interesting work there. And I, I think I think it'll be, you know, I, I hope that it's one of these things that starts off with a, a you know, with a bang and it really it really keeps going and shows the the strength of bringing these institutions together to have that kind of level of thought and level of contribution to debate and move things forward. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we're almost out of time. Alistair, do you have any last thoughts to offer us before you, are there any other little bits and bobs that you're thinking about this week before we uh, sign off? Well, I, I think, you know, just, I think we're scratching the surface with, with this international relations stuff in Scotland and indeed so is the new organisation. I'm optimistic with how they proceed in the next months and years ahead. I'm excited by what they have to put out. I think in the first instance, it's worth remembering that there were two really uh, very diametrically opposed pieces this week. Andrew Barr in the New Statesman reflecting on how the crisis in Ukraine uh, affects the campaign for a second Scottish independence referendum. And then secondly, you've got the Times and and Andrew Robertson talking about how this new organisation can massively inform how Scotland understands global affairs. The, The truth and the utility is somewhere in between. Um, and I think, as with all things, if you can start the conversation, who knows where it all goes. But it's it's brilliant, long overdue and, and something very, very exciting, particularly uh, with the, the, the tragedy that is unfolding in Ukraine uh, and how that unfortunately develops. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, 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 starting the conversation and having no idea where it's going is a subject close to the podcast's heart, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's been uh, great thank you very much indeed Alistair David do you have anything to add before we go just to just to finish in the gutter we should mark out that we should point out to our listeners that we are recording on Ed Balls Day um, which uh, (laughs) has been trending on Twitter today it's always I just love when the tweet reappears it's uh, it's a happy moment in my life so uh, (laughs) we've got all serious and we're going to finish with Mark and Ed Balls Day today. It's also my mum's birthday, if anybody wants to, to uh, message her and say happy birthday. But happy uh, birthday to her. The, t- the two <laughs> things aren't connected. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was great. Thank you very much, Alistair. Thank you, David. And thank you for thank listening. Thank you both. I enjoyed that. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye now.